welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 17th chapter. Luke writes, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him, keeping their distance. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Again, it's a little intimidating having you so folks so close to me this morning. It's, uh... <laughs> and I know you didn't want to sit in the front, did you? <laughs> Your mom outed you before you got here. So. Well, uh, we're looking at and dealing with uh, a couple of lessons today that deal with Syrians and Samaritans. Okay, Syrians and Samaritans, what have they to do with one another? It's more what they don't have to do with being the people of God. One, the Syrians, not part of the covenant. The Samaritans always suspect, as in the good Samaritan, the one of whom nothing was expected. And so we're dealing with outsiders, and we have then here um, an interesting insight into the nature of God. It's God's nature to bring the outsider in. Okay, or if you will, to expand the gospel. But uh, on this First Holy Communion Sunday, a slightly different uh, perspective on this. And that is, I begin with an observation that of all the Hebrew scriptures, the story of Naaman the Syrian is among my favorites. Naaman was uh, uh, his powerful healing odyssey, if we can call it that. Naaman's powerful healing odyssey actually began by and through the witness of a child. Okay, of a child, and I suspect not much different than the age of these children. Specifically, a little Hebrew girl. Okay, a little Hebrew girl who had been captured in a raid, taken as a slave or a servant to Naaman's wife and the household. She testified to the power of her God in Naaman's world of many gods. And the story 
is one of a battle-hardened soldier's difficulty in accepting the things that he could neither understand rationally nor control by means of brute strength. Naaman's gods were quite different than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, when teaching something new, or learning something new, those of you with a bit of life experience have probably already encountered the expression, you're making this far too difficult. Okay? That saying, I think, really captures the essence of Naaman's predicament, his dilemma. Although Naaman's problem appeared initially to be leprosy, upon second thought, his real deficiency lies somewhere else. So we ask, what did Naaman lack? Now, we're told straight up, Naaman, Naaman had leprosy. And leprosy was, it was a class of skin conditions that proved insurmountable for medicine such as it was in the ancient world. And therefore, being incurable became the great equalizer. Didn't matter what your name was, didn't matter your station in life, didn't matter your wealth, power, or influence. If you had leprosy, you were a leper. Your social connections, your familial, all separated by this condition called leprosy. And so, for a man who had brought opposing armies to their knees, strength had always won the day for him, only now he was being undone by something he could neither understand, much less control. Naaman's circumstance challenged his former assumptions about life, and in the end, Naaman's enemy was not leprosy so much as it proved to be pride. His cure would lie in finding grace sufficient to trust and obey someone he was by nature suspect of. In a word, Naaman had to learn humility. Did you notice how... Naaman's situation only darkened, you know, after the little girl had said, oh, if he could only see the prophet of my God who lived in Samaria, and the king sends a letter to the king of Israel and says, this is my servant Naaman, cure him. And the king says, oh my gosh, he's trying to pick a fight with me, we're going to war. But no, Naaman's situation, all this happens, and then it only darkens after he rails against the prophet Elijah, He goes to see Elijah, and when he gets to Elijah's house, his chariot, his entourage, he pulls up at the curb, if you will, and uh, Elijah sends his messengers out to talk to him. Elijah doesn't even come out himself. And it enraged Naaman further. Naaman said, I certainly figured he'd come out, wave his hands, and invoke his God. And so, uh, like the little girl before him... uh, the prophet Elijah asked Naaman to do something that seemed too trivial, too simple to be real. For Naaman's brilliant strategic mind told him that such an important thing as curing leprosy must involve some sort of a battle, a great struggle of the highest order, but it didn't. 
is the point. Naaman's pride confused simple and easy. Now, we're told, fortunately, that Naaman's servants, and I wonder if they too might have been Hebrews, right? The, his wife's servant was uh, the little Hebrew girl. Perhaps he had Hebrew servants as well. Uh, they proved more open to the ways of God than he did. At the very moment when everything hangs in the balance, when he's in a, a, a fit of peak of rage, and is angry to the point of ready to shut the whole thing down, his servants implore him, and they use this kind of familiar uh, word, Father. Now, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? And in fact, he would have. We are told that, as Elijah had instructed him, finally, Naaman, there is this breakthrough. Naaman yielded his pride, after, after giving his dissertation on the quality of the rivers in Syria compared to the rivers in, in Israel, he went and washed in the Jordan River. Naaman overcame uh, his true fear to find that from somewhere, somewhere beyond his control, beyond his understanding, he was cured. And we see then this spontaneous uh, declaration by Naaman the Syrian that truly there is no God in all the earth except the God of Israel. This simplest of confessions acknowledge the all-powerful God of the Bible and the power of faith. Simple, if not easy. Now, on this First Holy Communion Sunday, time has taught me one question is inevitably asked, or maybe not asked, but thought. The question centers on whether or not these little energetic red-robed children understand Holy Communion enough for them to uh, experience this moment in their spiritual formation. In other words, parents and the wise often wonder this. Shouldn't understanding precede experience? Well, I'm going to submit to you, as we have just learned through name, and that is exactly how it doesn't work. From the Hebrew child's witness to the simple instruction all too simple, as Naaman figured it, of the prophet Elijah, to the final intervention of his servants, the perceived need to understand and to control was actually the impediment to receiving the much-sought-after miracle. The need to understand can sometimes conceal a healthy measure of pride. Understanding need not precede experience. Rather, experience may well be the door to understanding. There's an old adage many of you know, seeing is believing. And that uh, cynical saying plays well in the skeptical world in which we spend much of our time. But it 
falls flat. It fails when trying to plumb the depths of the mysteries of God. God does not yield to the rational mind. For that would inevitably be to give the things of God over to the power of the minds of men and the logic of women. And it doesn't work that way. Confining the things of God to the limits of human thought, therefore, is to control God. It leaves room for neither mystery nor revelation. If humans can thought control God, if we can thought control God, then we will have accomplished that which I find to have been Adam and Eve's first fault in the garden, to be like God. Or like those who built the Tower of Babel, believing they could storm heaven's gate through their own minds and their own intellects. Intellects. Even the soaring intellect of St. Paul recognized the inherent folly in such pursuits. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Which leaves us to beg the question, if not through wisdom, then how? How does the world know God? I submit to you, the world knows God through God's revelation of God. As when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, or for we Christians, when the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Pertaining to faith, it has long been said that we do not need to see in order to believe. Rather, we must be willing to believe if we ever hope to see. Or, as Paul reminded the Corinthians, to walk by faith, not by sight. Now, today's First Holy Communion is neither is neither uh, an exercise in understanding on the part of these children. Okay? Nor is it a reward for right thoughts. Today's experience of Holy Communion is for our children an exercise of faith. And at this stage, I would rather they have faith than understanding. As Paul wrote, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child and I reasoned like a child. And so a word to you seated in the front rows. This is really quite remarkable, uh, if I may. Uh, we must be careful not to project our own uncertainties uh, that we may have suffered upon the things of the Spirit. The world's going to soon enough tell your children that like Naaman. Nothing lies beyond the understandable and cannot be controlled by brute force or understood by the human mind. And I pray that our children not become so cynical, for in my years of observing those thus convinced, those who demand and do not receive, I have found no small measure of doubt and despair just below the surface. I have found prideful cynicism that easily rivals Naaman's. And so we conclude using the miracle story 
in Luke's gospel. Ten lepers. Ten lepers had no reservations at all about asking Rabbi Jesus to heal them, seeing that all the other curative efforts they had taken, undertaken had failed. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, they cried out. And so it was, Jesus directed them, using strikingly similar words to Elijah's simple words, go and present yourselves to the priests. And we are told that somehow, through these simple acts of obedience, utterly without understanding on the part of Naaman or the ten lepers, the miracles were effected. God's sovereignty revealed. What is equally instructive for us this morning is that only one of the ten returned to give thanks to the source of their now restored lives. And I'm going to suggest to you, parents, grandparents, <laughs> your children are the one in ten. They're the one in ten. They are the blessed ones this morning, for you have brought them to the source of that which can and will sustain them when other sources fail. It may seem so simple and yet has been proven throughout thousands of generations. The faith here being established can be most enduring. The little Hebrew girl speaking to Naaman in the end proved greater than the imposing general. Even though the child was but a slave, by that child's witness, the mighty experienced the almighty. Even though Elisha failed to be impressed by Naaman's military rank and his entourage, the prophet nevertheless shared the secret to Naaman's cure. Elisha's secret required only hope and obedience, such a simple thing that sometimes only a child can see it. Many children have been here baptized, never to return. But you parents, you grandparents, you have returned this day with your children. You have brought them to experience that which I confess I do not yet myself fully understand, but which I know we shall experience together this day. For in closing, and I leave you, understanding need not precede experience, but rather experience may well be the very door to understanding. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.